welcome to Biz Culture Matters, our new show sponsored by excellentcultures.com. We have with us, this is, first of all, this is Robert Ricciadelli, your host, and I've got with me Steve Gondara and Zach Gondara of excellentcultures.com. They are the founders, and this is the main sponsor of our show. Uh, welcome to the show, Steve and Zach. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, sir. And this is a show where we help the good guys win. Uh, Steve, before we started this show, tell us what uh, what your heart was in getting this show out to our audience. Well, in the 35 years that we've been helping high-performance businesses go to the next level and helping companies go from good to great in reality rather than just conversation, we've had the opportunity to meet with just a, a number of really quality leaders and individuals who understand that culture is the root of every business problem and the root of every business success and we just thought it would be a wonderful idea to share the insights of all these brilliant people with our listeners so that everyone can take advantage of their brain power. I'm really excited about this show because I'm a part of Excellent Cultures as well as a coach and and I'm excited about the experts that we're going to bring on to this show that are going to help the good guys win. Talk about how culture really does make a difference in your business, in your everyday life. You know, we have this uh, a guest today that I think I'm, I, I haven't met yet, but we're going to meet him in just a minute. And he has quite a resume. He's uh, been very successful in various streams of, of life and in business. He's an educator. He, he, he teaches uh, at University of Washington. He's uh, 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 the founder of Rainmakers TV, and he's got a, a nonprofit called Post Harvest Project. Welcome to the show today, Stan Emmert. Stan, are you there with us? Hi, sir. I'm Rob. Thank you very much for, uh, for addressing the topic of the importance of culture in business. Well, we're really excited to have you. I've, I've heard a lot about you, and uh, boy, you've got quite the resume. You've, uh, uh, you've produced over 1,000 uh, half-hour community TV shows. 100 live radio shows. I mean, uh, uh, a man of uh, many talents. Tell us about some of the things you're doing. I mean, here you teach a senior-level business course at University of Washington on business, government, and society. Tell us about that. What are you doing over there at University of Washington? Well, first off, Rob, if you're old enough, then, then yeah, you have an, uh, somewhat of an impressive resume, but I think <laughs> it's by volume, so, uh, so that's what it is. But over at University of Washington, the Bothell campus, uh, uh, they now have their, uh, their own independent business school, and congratulations to them. They worked really hard to get it. I teach business, government, and society, which is, as you said, is a senior-level business uh, uh, business course, and it's uh, almost all management students. And what it really relates to is the interrelationship of uh, business, government, and society, just, just like the title says. And it's really interesting for so many of the students who, who come in with preconceived ideas, just like any of us would, uh, about uh, how business, government, and society are separate. Well, in fact, they're not. Wow. Well, that's exciting. And uh, how, how's the, how the response going in this class with the, the students getting what you're, what you're bringing to them? Well, I hope so. The, I, I teach it a little differently. For example, I, I taught a short session this past September and what I did was I gave them the final exam uh, so that they could have it on the first day of class. And they kind of looked at me and I said, look, this is not a memory test. This is about you learning something from a qualitative level. Your, most of your grade is not going to come from a memory test that I would give you at the end of, uh, of, the, uh, of the class. Instead, what it's about are the papers that you're going to do where you're going to have to do a paper uh, comparing the public pronouncements of a, of a global company that speaks outside the United States, what it says about itself and its, and its working and dealings with government and society, versus the reality of things, because they're not always the same. Yeah. Uh, and then I also had them do a second paper, which was um, of a small local company under 100 employees, and do the same. Uh, and oftentimes you see the, the large global companies are complying with a global reporting initiative that came out of, out of Europe uh, where companies say glowing things about themselves, and the small companies don't address it at all. They just do it. And it's, it's really interesting for the students to learn. So one of the hardest things, and Rob, I, I, I know that you're going to appreciate this, one of the hardest things for the students to do today is to pick up the phone and call and talk to somebody. 
Yeah. And that's what I, re- I require them to do with regard to the small company. That's great. That's well, great training at, at a young age and great formative training for them uh, for their business lives going forward. Tell us about Rainmaker.tv. This is a, 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 a thing that you founded. How long ago? And tell us about it. Well, I, I, uh, I used to practice law back in Washington, D.C., and I was a communications lawyer. And what I found uh, is that I enjoyed the, uh, the broadcasting side more than the legal side. Uh, the legal side is where we were just beating up on each other all the time, and I actually preferred to, to try to help people do stuff. And uh, so when I moved out to the Pacific Northwest in uh, 1992, I, I moved out here because I, I just absolutely loved it, and I really didn't like practicing law. But, but what I did after that is that I consulted in broadcasting, um, primarily from the programming side and the, and the community outreach side. And, um, and by doing that, uh, I, I worked in community television from 1992 on, and at the same point in time, I worked with the Symmetra Financial, which is um, which formed its own life unit from Safeco back in 19, excuse me, 2004, um, and I founded their corporate social responsibility group. Uh, and uh, what I found is that here in the Pacific Northwest, we are as globally and hourly facing as any place probably in the world. Uh, we have so many uh, NGOs and non-governmental organizations that are, are doing fantastic things that, you know, frankly, when I watch the, the television news, uh, except during a political season, you know, if it leaves, it leaves, and that's just the way it is. And I really get tired of that for this, because of that I don't watch network news anymore. Yeah. Uh, instead, I get almost all my news off of the Internet. Um, and then, of course, during the political seasons, everybody has everything horrible to say about everybody else. And before you know it, the, the presidential candidates are so beaten and bludgeoned that, there's, that they have a very small chance of success. And I know this isn't a political show, but and that's the only political statement that I'll make. <laughs> it's the season we're in. That's exactly um, right. <laughs> and so the reason that I founded Rainmakers is that I saw all these fantastic people doing tremendous things based right here in the Pacific Northwest. And the thing about rainmakers is that so many people here in the United States will, will think of a rainmaker as a person at the top putting money into a project. But you know, if you don't have somebody at the bottom that wants to make it successful too, then it's not going to work. And so I think the person at the bottom of the pyramid in a uh, um, in an impact country, uh, a lot of people call them developing countries, but I call them impact countries. Um, so you, you've got... The person at the bottom of the pyramid, uh, typically a woman who's trying to help her family. You've got the person at the top of the pyramid who is, is providing money for the project. And then you've got the NGOs in the middle that are helping make it happen. And to me, they're all rainmakers. Yeah. So we, I founded Rainmakers for the sake of telling those stories and, you know, pretty happy to um, announce I was able to tell Steve this before we started the show that... Uh, we're starting at the month of November uh, 2012. We're in 35 million homes across the United States. That's excellent. And, you know, we're going to be moving to a break, and I want to come back and talk about this. You know, you're talking about grassroots-level projects. We'll come back and talk about the post-harvest project and what you're doing there. And uh, so we'll be back in a few minutes on break. Come back at, at Clay 1180 a.m. We'll see you in a few minutes. ExcellentCultures.com is always interviewing leaders committed to cultural leadership, excellence, and change. These leaders like Russell Freeman, Ross Perot's COO, and Bob Hinton, CPA and Moss Adams' managing partner, have world-class ideas. As advocates for creating strong corporate culture that builds people and serves customers with excellence, they share breakthrough business ideas. Gain insights from Russell, Bob, and others on the Culture News blog at excellentcultures.com. Off-the-cuff management is old school at the very least. With culture at the root of every business problem or success, data-driven strategic leadership is where today's best businesses are focused. No one knows that better than Excellent Cultures. 
After 35 years, they are the Northwest's premier strategic leadership firm. Excellent Cultures has the expertise to read the soul of your business and generate abundance. Take the free BizCulture MRI or ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. As an executive CEO or business owner, do you ever find yourself struggling with work-life balance and achieving your goals at work and at home? Are you overwhelmed in your workload and feel important things just aren't getting done? Our coaches specialize in helping leaders just like you overcome challenges and build a plan to recenter your life to achieve the balance and success you've always hoped for in your business and personal life. Ask the experts at excellentcultures.com about the right plan for you. Okay, we're back. You still with us there, Stan? Oh, absolutely. Whenever I get a chance to talk about Rainmakers and Post Harvest Project, I just support the University of Washington uh, Business. Well, Biz Culture Matters is all about that, and, and we really love what you're doing, the good guys, what they're doing out there. Tell us about the Post Harvest Project. The Post Harvest Project was founded by Craig Rolander, who is the president of Nanolite. Uh, and what Nanolite is, it's, uh, believe it or not, it's a new brand of ice. Um, and, you know, when I first heard that, I thought that was, well, gosh, that's one of the silliest things I've ever heard. I mean, ice is just water frozen. Well, as it turns out, there are, if you compress the molecules um, in a much tighter way, what you get is a, is a slurry uh, that actually penetrates the tissues of a fish if, it's, if you're trying to freeze it, or a produce if you're trying to freeze it, or of, of other things where you need a cold chain. And Craig looked around the world and saw that, that there's, there is so much food being wasted. And I don't even mean in a negative way. It's just it's wasted because uh, they, they don't have the cold chain that's there to preserve it. So he founded the Post Harvest Project, knowing that um, it took more than just a cold chain. And so we also, uh, I came on board, and when I came on board, we started looking around for other technologies to... Uh, to be involved. One of them is Eco Group International, which provides a, an organic fertilizer made from fish waste. So you've got, right now, you've got, in, in some uh, of the impact countries, you've got as much as 80% of their fish catch is wasted due to poor uh, cold chain techniques. So through nanolites, they're going to in, uh, improve their, their yield, their fish yield, but there's still going to be waste. There's, a, there's always waste. So now you've got Eco Group, which is coming in and buying the fish waste. So we're increase, increasing the income for the fishers, and we're also now providing a new way for local people. And and our first project is in Ghana to uh, become employed and create organic fertilizer. So then we take the organic fertilizer and we take it to farms in in Ghana, many of whom don't use any fertilizer at all, and most. And the ones who do use fertilizer have been using uh, an oil base, which ultimately is not very good for the ground. And so we're we're creating kind of a new economic system uh, in a country where they they need they need protein, they need food, and they can grow it, but they can't keep it. Mm. Uh, and so that's what that's what the Post Harvest Project is all about. Plus, we have some other technologies that we're bringing along too. Uh, one of them is just phenomenal uh, in that it, it can take uh, produce waste and fish and chicken and, uh, and beef waste and turn it into something useful, uh, and uh, including extracting uh, the chemicals from some of the plants, the plant waste uh, that uh, is used in medicine. So it's it, by, by attacking uh, hunger, and poverty from a food waste standpoint, we created essentially what I think is a holistic, economically sustainable uh, supply chain. And frankly, Rob, without economic sustainability, it doesn't matter what it is, it's not going to work. Yeah, that's excellent. You know, one of the things that impressed me with Stan when I first met him through a, a mutual friend who was actually one of the mentors to the president of Ghana, where Stan is doing this work, is that Stan's one of the few people on the planet that I've had the opportunity to encounter that isn't just doing three jobs at one time. 
but is doing all three jobs in a manner that is consistent with a philosophy and a process that just isn't conversation, but actually gets lived in real behavior with people every single day. And when I had the opportunity to speak to his seniors class at the University of Washington Business School there in Bothell, what impressed me so much is you've got this amazing group of brilliant, eclectic group, you know, kids from every nation on the planet almost, just brilliant young people who are there to learn how do we connect the dots between business, government, and society and do it in a way that causes the good guys to win that is not just nice promotional conversation about being green or being sustainable or doing good to the planet, but actually gets lived out in terms of reality that produces positive fruit that benefits everybody who's involved. Uh, Stan has been very effective at making that happen and engaging other folks who make it happen in a way that is meaningful and effective, not just conversation and promotion. And immediately what I thought was, wow, if, if as Stan is able to do this, how many other business leaders could learn how do we take these beautiful God, mom, and apple pie mission and vision statements and values and operationalize them so they're not just promotional publicity on our websites, but actually get lived in the real world of day-to-day -day behaviors and leadership that happen with people who are in the organization. Well, Steve, I love that. Um, uh, you know, Stan, look at, listening to Steve and, 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 and talking about what you're doing and engaging with and hearing about your projects and, and your companies, um, give us give the audience some insight on what your vision is for ideal culture and ethics because we're really talking about a culture of ethics, values, and and engagement at a community level, at a, at, a, at a business level. Give us some of your insights on on how how people can participate in that kind of uh, level of, of of excellence. I think the best thing Stan said was when he started and he stopped being a lawyer. That's the first step right there, yeah, the Stan. Truth comes yeah, no, that was to, the first step. Way to go, Stan. Yeah, that's good. Well, I, I, you know, the, the truth <laughs> matter is that uh, being a lawyer was really hard on me from an emotional standpoint because I wanted to create, and I saw that my job was primarily to uh, to tear down. Now, I know that's, that, that's not true of all lawyers, but in what I was doing, I was oftentimes in, in a 20 or a 25-party case and it was kind of like a mass divorce for what you were trying to do was to try to make the other side look just as horrible as they could while they're and making your own uh, client look as perfect as possible. And, you know, the reality was, was never there. Uh, so uh, that just was a world that I didn't, that didn't appeal to me. But, by the way, before I get going any further, Steve was fantastic at my class. I was, I was ready to sit down, hand uh, the entire podium over to him and say, you know, look, I just want to sit and learn from you. So... So Steve was tremendous. Yeah, um, he's for a young guy. He's got quite an experience. <laughs> what, why is everybody laughing when that that comment was shared? Because you've been doing this for thirty years, Steve. <laughs> yeah. That's why the young thing always brings That's laughter. Right. Yeah, but you, you talked about uh, advice with regard to the business and business cultures, and you know something that that I actually learned from talking with Gifford Pinchot, the the third, the the grandson of the first. Uh, you know, basically giant forest ranger for the U.S. Forest Service. But, but Gifford started the Bainbridge Graduate Institute, and it's the first uh, graduate institution in the United States to have an MBA in sustainability. And he gives this advice, and it's, it's kind of scary to a lot of people, but it says that in order to, to truly make an impact at your, at your work, go in every day um, understanding that you could be fired. Mm. What he meant by that is, is that there are so, he, he's seen so many people in business, and I'll bet all of us have, that as employees, they're really not willing to, to do their best. They're willing to play it safe all the time. And, you know, sometimes you, as long as you're transparent, and I think that's, that's a, the biggest key to everything, but as long as you're transparent, you know, with the people above the, the chain in, you, in, in command inside your, uh, your company, uh, you're you're far better. Uh, you have a better chance of being able to take some chances inside to do a better job. Um, and I don't know how much sense that makes, um, but you know, I I myself could not go and do a job where I was punching a time clock 
and putting rivets in the same hole day after day after day. Yeah. That's a pretty amazing point of view if you go in every day expecting that you can be fired and then focus on something that's going to make a difference as opposed to just getting by. Imagine what would happen to our gross national product if we had a nation full of leaders and workers who thought that way. Well, competition is a great thing. Competition is an absolutely great thing. Uh, It is better when there is transparency. And uh, this is what I I talk with my management students about. Uh, I said, you know, look, guys, in my opinion, the best culture that you can create is one where people don't punch time clocks, where you don't care if they work eight hours or three hours. What you're looking for is the result of the job. And so if as a management leader you are able uh, to clearly communicate and uh, make it possible for someone to be the best that they can absolutely be, then, you know, you've done a really good job. And, you know, that's hard, but I, I see more and more companies going to uh, results orientation rather than uh, time. I like that idea. And, you know, that really comes down to the why of a person's uh, either purpose or why they're in that company. I mean, uh, if it's just for a job, then they are going to have that mentality of just punching in, punching out, getting their paycheck. But if they're in there for the why, which hopefully is tied to their purpose where they can really make a difference, wouldn't that transparency or authenticity really come out in how they uh, respond to their, their, their work experience? Well, it sure would. Something else that they talk about is Bainbridge Graduate Institute, and then actually you guys probably talk about it too, it's the triple bottom line, and it's people, planet, and profit. Uh, profit is a good thing. It makes it makes the world go round. In every culture that I have that I have ever seen, uh, regardless of the country, profit is a very good thing. Taking care of the planet is something that uh, we have not done a great job of. Although there is more focus on that, and of course, taking care of your people, and including. Uh, the definition of people are, are stakeholders, not only your shareholders, but also those who have an economic interest uh, in your company. And, and, you know, maybe sometimes it's even the, the NGOs that you are involved with. But there's something else that is creeping in. It's the fourth P, and you've already said it, Rob. It's purpose. Mm. Uh, I have read so many business books that, that say the same thing, and I'm really glad that more is getting more attention now. And that, that is, if the purpose of your business is to make money, it's not likely to make it. If, the, if you have the purpose of your business is to create a great product or to create a great service, then you are likely to do much better because then money flows uh, if you do other things in business right. And that's, that's my personal belief, that there are now four Ps in your triple bottom line. It's, it's people, planet, profit, and purpose. It, interesting as you say that in such a tight, pithy way. If the purpose of your business is to make money, then you're not likely to make it. What a phenomenal perspective and point of view. We're going to take a short break, and Stan, when we get back, we'd like you to expand on that because I think that's the title of your next book. I really do. Let's get back in a second. ExcellentCultures.com is always interviewing leaders committed to cultural leadership, excellence, and change. These leaders like Russell Freeman, Ross Perot's COO, and Bob Hinton, CPA and Moss Adams' managing partner, have world-class ideas. As advocates for creating strong corporate culture that builds people and serves customers with excellence, they share breakthrough business ideas. Gain insights from Russell, Bob, and others on the Culture News blog at ExcellentCultures.com. Off-the-cuff management is old school at the very least. With culture at the root of every business problem or success, data-driven strategic leadership is where today's best businesses are focused. No one knows that better than Excellent Cultures. After 35 years, they are the Northwest's premier strategic leadership firm. Excellent Cultures has the expertise to read the soul of your business and generate abundance. Take the free BizCulture MRI or ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. Has business taken over your life? Are you living to work or working to live? Stress, broken marriages, neglected relationships, and poor health are symptoms of a life out of balance. 
The right coaching plan can have a transformational impact on the quality of your performance at work, depth of relationships at home, and personal sense of well-being. Stop struggling to survive. Ask the experts at excellentcultures.com how coaching can help you maximize your life and optimize your work. Welcome back to Biz Culture Matters, where we help the good guys win. We're here with Stan Emmert. Stan, tell us about uh, that, that thought that Steve had mentioned before the break. Of the, the importance of purpose leading uh, your your business. Yes. Uh, well, um, let's let's take some examples. Uh, Microsoft. There are people who criticize Microsoft for very aggressive um, business transactions that they do. At the same point in time, the purpose of Microsoft has been to create the best software that they can, uh, or to create other good products. That's that's how they were founded, and that's what they tried to do. That's their purpose. They've made a lot of money. Uh, they, they clearly have made a lot of money. Uh, but there's something that, that's actually that's great about Microsoft that, that they do. They, their work in the community, and I'm talking about communities around the world now, uh, they have trained uh, or they have caused to, to be trained so many people who are in a culturally abusive uh, society, uh, particularly in women in, uh, in cultures where women are second class. And what they, uh, what Microsoft has done is that they have enabled women to be trained so that they are economic powers by themselves and so that they can change their own society. And Microsoft doesn't go in and do the training themselves. Microsoft does that through NGOs. And my hat is off to them. So their, their purpose as a business uh, has been to enable more people to be in the workplace around the world. And at the same point in time, yes, they are, uh, they are doing a good thing for their own uh, profit bottom line, and, and, you know, they're transparent about that. I'm very fine with that. Uh, but frankly, I've been very critical of the financial services industry, and because you look at so much of what they did to, to us here in the United States and around the world and try to come up with a purpose for their being other than just to collect more nickels, dimes, dollars, millions of dollars at the expense of, of the public. And I, I can't find one. Uh, and, and that's why, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward again to my small community banker who makes decisions on, on home loans right in his own office. Now, you know, Stan, when you and I spoke earlier about the, well, what causes great cultures to fall apart, I'm reminded of one of the interviews that we've had the opportunity to participate in on our series that identifies the fullness of a culture of ethics, values, and employee engagement is a guy by the name of Jack Hollis. Jack recently has served as the vice president of the Scion division of Toyota, recently was promoted, but in his years at uh, Scion, he's still one of the senior executives in the American subsidiary of Toyota. Brilliant young leader, youngest leader on the uh, Toyota senior leadership team in the U.S., but when we asked Jack you know, his view on, you know, what was taking place in cultures and what was causing great cultures of ethics, values, and employee engagement to be disintegrated. He said his view was that the pressure on quarterly profits and sales and annual reports was so great that it often was so easy for executives and leaders to forget that they got into the business to serve customers and then to serve their people as a part of the process of delivering that quality of service to their customers because the focus was so into the financials, which really are the fruit of the culture and the efforts, that people would lose focus. And when I spoke with you, you had an opinion about the uh, financial services industry and this high-volume trading that you felt drove that. Could you share with us a little bit on you know, your view of you know, what's caused all of these ethical debacles to happen in corporate America, and did they just happen by accident, or is it something in our culture as, as Westerners that's causing this? What, what are your thoughts? Well, you, you know, I'm glad that, that you wanted to talk about that, because serving the, the quarterly report is, is something that is just completely abhorrent to, uh, to our lives. Uh, I mean, we don't live 90-day lives. 
but uh, there is something that's happened, and it's happened over the past several years uh, with with the stock exchange. And it's it's interesting to me how uh, how the reports of the stock exchange leads the business news every day, and how irrelevant it is to so many uh, parts of society. And it's even less and less relevant now to good business behavior. High frequency trading is something that now trades. Is um, 70% of the volume of shares of, uh, and of the trades that happen every single day on the New York Stock Exchange are through high-frequency traders. This is this is amazing to me. And what is, what is a high-frequency trader is essentially a really really smart mathematician who has created uh, an algorithm uh, to um, to trade stocks not based on their value, not based on not not based on good business behavior, not based on whether or not the, um, there is a, some kind of, of shock that has happened in the company, not even based on whether or not you've got great ethical leadership. It's solely based on mathematics. And the, uh, some of the veterans in stock trading say that, you know, it's, it's not a good thing that it's happening, but it is good for liquidity. And so, you know, I'm sitting back here and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. Everything that I ever learned in business is that there is good business behavior, and that creates profits, and there is bad business behavior, and that, you know, creates losses. And if you have losses, then your stock goes down, and if you have profits, your stock goes up. But with high-frequency trading, that's all irrelevant. That's very interesting. One of, uh, while we were listening to you, we pulled up one of the tweets that Jack Hollis, the Cyan executive, gave us. Listen to this. And see if it's is it not consistent with everything that you're you're saying. What Jack told us is that as soon as a company focuses on profits, then the company begins to lose. The more profit focus you are, the less relational you become. And what happens when we lose our focus on what our purpose is in a business, and just start to think about the outcome or the fruit? We stop doing the things that made it work in the first place, which is the relationships that exist between people that cause productivity. He sounds like a very smart person. I think we think he is. <laughs> he sounds a lot like you. He, yeah, sounds, he sounds a lot like you. I think you guys to... would be buddies. Yeah. <laughs> well, you should come speak to my class, and I'm going to have to find him. We could do that. That's a good idea, <laughs> which I do want to throw in a little plug for us that – a lot of these interviews we do get posted on our excellentcultures.com website. So if you're listening and you're interested in some of these quotes or tweets or uh, guys we're interviewing like Stan, we're going to post one of his soon uh, as well. So you can always go to excellent.com, excellentcultures.com, and check those out. Stan, are you gonna are you gonna check out your own interview? Oh, it's hard to it's hard to listen to myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly why we wanted to interview you, Stan. Yeah. Well, after after having done so many interviews, and uh, I'm actually uh, I've been working on my the the, the Clinton Global Initiative interviews uh, uh, just over the past month, and um, I I far prefer to watch the guests than myself. So. And Stan, you know the couple thoughts here too. This is Rob. Um, you know some there are some companies that get away with uh, bad culture and succeed financially, and obviously. We know in, in time that, that that thing's not going to be sustainable, uh, and there's a lot of cost to it, a lot of people getting hurt, and a lot of things happen in those bad cultures. So let's talk about some of those bad cultures, and what are uh, what are some of these things that begin to uh, spiral downwards uh, and deteriorate uh, these organizations when they aren't practicing what we call excellent cultures within the organization? Well, I really believe it does start at the top. Um, Morgan Stanley was a company that won an awful lot of awards for its corporate social responsibility. Its, it's middle management at Morgan Stanley did a lot of good things in, in the community. Uh, but at the top, they did. Hmm. And you can really kind of go through, um, you know, most of the financials, and these are names that, that everybody knows. And their culture at the top is that you would, you would see – some of the same ones who were testifying before Congress were also the same ones who were slaves to the 90-day report. And um, the, the and this is where, you know, the small business is small business is hard. If anybody who's in a small business knows how hard it is. But it's also 
easy in the way that you're typically not played to the 90-day report. You're oftentimes played to the to the cash drawer, uh, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, but at the end of the day, though, you can probably feel good that you did the right thing. And I just wonder if so many of those people who testified before the uh, the House and the Senate, uh, you know, the Financial Services or Banking Committee, could say the same thing, that at the end of the day that they feel so good about what they did. And, I, you know, I personally doubt it. Well, it's it's so obvious what you just shared with us as we talk to leaders who have really accomplished phenomenal breakthroughs from a culture perspective that what you're saying is accurate, Stan. We, in, one of the in leaders we interviewed the other day, in fact, his article is up on our blog site now that the listeners can, can take advantage of, is Ross Perot's CFO and COO. His name is Russell Freeman, brilliant young guy who has been with Ross Perot most of his career. And in the just the preliminary research that we did for the project, uh, defining you know the difference of the first company that Ross built and sold to General Motors, it's now owned by HP. The last Wall Street Analyst article on that firm that went for billions to General Motors and then to HP is now that is it's basically worthless, and HP is considering shutting the division down. And then you follow; they recently sold uh, three years ago their Perot Systems to Dell Computer. And all that was removed from these firms was the culture, the culture that came from the top and was infiltrated throughout the organization. And what's amazing is to just watch how the financial performance just deteriorates and disintegrates as soon as that leadership that is purpose-driven and values-driven and culture-driven and ethics-driven is removed. We're going to take a short break, and then when we get back, Stan, we'd love for you to give us your comments on this. It starts at the top and what are some good examples and some things that you've seen with quality leaders making a difference as it starts at the top. ExcellentCultures.com is always interviewing leaders committed to cultural leadership, excellence, and change. These leaders like Russell Freeman, Ross Perot's COO, and Bob Hinton, CPA and Moss Adams' managing partner, have world-class ideas. As advocates for creating strong corporate culture that builds people and serves customers with excellence, they share breakthrough business ideas. Gain insights from Russell, Bob, and others on the Culture News blog at excellentcultures.com. Off-the-cuff management is old school at the very least. With culture at the root of every business problem or success, data-driven strategic leadership is where today's best businesses are focused. No one knows that better than excellent cultures. After 35 years, they are the Northwest's premier strategic leadership firm. Excellent Cultures has the expertise to read the soul of your business and generate abundance. Take the free BizCulture MRI or ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. As an executive CEO or business owner, do you ever find yourself struggling with work-life balance and achieving your goals at work and at home? Are you overwhelmed in your workload and feel important things just aren't getting done? Our coaches specialize in helping leaders just like you overcome challenges and build a plan to recenter your life to achieve the balance and success you've always hoped for in your business and personal life. Ask the experts at excellentcultures.com about the right plan for you. Welcome back to Biz Culture Matters with Robert Ciavelli, Steve, and Zach Gandara. Hey, Stan, you're with us. Uh, tell us a little bit about what happens at the top and how it matters and some of the ones that are doing it right and some of the things that you've seen uh, along the way. Well, one of the first companies that I want to call out in a positive way is Granger. Uh, uh, I, I do an awful lot of interviews tied with business as well. And most of the time it is someone from communications or, you know, oftentimes it's a spin person. And I, you know, and I know that, and, and I think that the audience oftentimes knows it too um, when, when we're dealing with, with a business. Uh, but not with Granger. Granger was the president of the company who was there with uh, the, I believe it was, it was either the American Red Cross or Habitat for Humanity. He wanted to be there with them talking together and showing the importance of a partnership that takes place 
between a for-profit entity like Granger and a and a not-for-profit. And I was so impressed that the, the president of this company, of this huge you know, company, knew about uh, how the employees, and that's what he talked about first. He talked about how the employees wanted to engage with this nonprofit. They wanted to do the kinds of things that were were uh, you know being requested of them, and they wanted to participate. So what I was hearing out of that uh, the president of that company coming from the top was that he valued his employees so much that he wanted to make sure that they had something that would appeal to them as people. Because mm-hmm. after all, you know, at the end of the day, we're all we're all the same. I mean, we really are. And, and and wherever I've traveled in the world, I have found that people are genuinely uh, and uh, generally also the same. You know, dad wants want better lives for uh, for their kids. Now, dads in many countries don't do a great job. Dads here in the United States don't often do a great job, too. And that's unfortunate, but there's more and more pressure, uh, more and more positive enthusiasm coming for dads being a great part of a kid's life. That's a huge deal. Well, the, the president of this company was essentially sounding like a parent because he wanted his kids, his employees, uh, to feel good about what they did every single day, and so that's one of the reasons why they engage with this particular nonprofit. Uh, another company that has done something of a similar nature is Cummins Diesel. I've been really, really impressed with their senior management in Cummins Diesel. When they go to a new community in a in an impact country, for example, the, one of the first things they they do is they want to look at the families of the people who will be, will be employed in with contractors, not just themselves, but with contractors of coming uh, in uh, in that particular community. Do they need health care? Do they need schools? Do they need, and then you can fill in the blank. Starbucks is the same way. You know, uh, I think that uh, certainly Starbucks suffered uh, with the economic downturn. And there was a time when, uh, just a few years ago, when Starbucks, uh, the Starbucks Board of Directors was telling the management to expand as fast as possible. Well, that expansion hurt them. Uh, it cost the, the president of the company his job. But essentially the culture is one uh, there that because they had such a good relationship with the people that they were able to overcome that. Uh, and that is, that's a stakeholder-driven company there that I'm, you know, I, I'm really proud to talk about. Uh, although I will say this, I don't drink coffee. So, you know, they don't make a whole lot of money off of me. But I, How I'm do you live? Uh, yeah. I, well, I die so. Um, you know, but uh, the um, the importance of that though is uh, is really looking at people and is trying to promote people in the best possible way. That's what I do. Uh, that's what I talk about in in the business governance society class to the, the management students. Say, look, your most valuable asset truly is your people, and if you look at at each person as someone who who wants to do a good job. Then, and if you can create the circumstances for them to have a good job uh, and, to, and to, to do great at what they do, uh, then, you know, you're going to have a company that's going to be successful. And notice, I didn't talk about uh, their whatever they were doing. I mean, they may make seatbelts. That may be what the company does. But still, if your culture is one where you uh, are creating circumstances where that employee can do the absolute best as a human being, then you're going to have a successful company. That goes right to the engagement of your employees. They're not this just there for the for the paycheck. They're there for a, a greater purpose, and they're being empowered to bring their talents, their gifts, their abilities uh, to really shine forth uh, uh, because the leadership values it, and now they feel valued, and now can perform in that in that value. That's a that's a tremendous uh, testimony. You know, I was talking to. Uh former employee of uh, Whole Foods yesterday, and he now owns his own business called Scratch Deli in Seattle. Wonderful sandwiches, a little plug for him. But uh, he was telling me the same thing about Whole Foods, like what a wonderful culture they had and how happy they were to go to work every day, how they treated him, how they cared for him. And he was all out, was like, I would work for more less money to stay there mm-hmm. had I not been led to do my own business here in Seattle. It's like people will take less money for a more purposeful life and uh, enrichment in what they're doing. It's huge. 
Even in this difficult economy, people exactly. will do that. There was a survey a few years ago of, uh, uh, it was a, a survey out of Standard, Stanford, but it was of the uh, MBA uh, graduates, uh, and I think nine, nine or ten of the top business schools around the world. And the statistic was astounding. It was an astounding. It was a nine, something where between 90 and 95 percent, a number that was so great that I actually called Stanford and asked them if, if there was a typo. Uh, and it was between 90 and 95 percent of the MBA graduate survey that they would take less money to go work with a company that they believed was ethical. Wow. So, you know, here we are living in a very difficult economy, and we get that kind of response from really pretty bright people. The MBA graduates are, are pretty bright people. And I think that says a lot. So, Stan... If we've got all of this research and all of this information, I'm reminded of Daniel Pink's work recently that was very well published through YouTube and on the Internet that basically says the same thing. People will take less money and that money is not the primary motivator if the culture is one that enhances values and values them and values the customer. With all of this being so evident, why are we having these huge debacles of ethical scandals on Wall Street and with huge companies of the the Enron variety? You know, what's causing all this? Yeah, that's a great question. I wish I knew the answer, but I do think that um, I'm thinking that government is less and less relevant in our daily lives, uh, except in those institutions. Uh, and those industries where, you know, government makes you or breaks you. And in financial services, to a large extent, government can make you or break you. If, you know, for example, uh, the Glass-Steagall had not been repealed in 1998 or 99, whatever it was, uh, if it had not been repealed, much of what happened uh, on Wall Street would not have been legal to have happened. Would it, would it have happened anyway? Well, maybe. And that's where uh, we, as, uh, as a people, are not holding our government officials accountable for enforcement of laws that we have on the books. And, um, you know, the only way I know as, as a, an individual to make an impact is to take my money and go somewhere else. So I've got to tell you, I left, I've left the bank, so I've gone to the credit union. That's amazing. Um, that's amazing. That's ama an amazing insight. And... I was uh, interviewing a CEO the other day of a local technology firm about that exact same trend that, you know, people are taking their money and leaving the banks and going to credit unions simply because of the difference in the culture that they experience between the bank and the credit union. Yep. Uh, and that's exactly it. Um, I mean, especially today. I mean, I don't need to go into a, a branch of a bank. Uh, all I need to do is just to, to do things online. I mean, right before this show uh, started, I was paying bills online. I had written a check, and I, I probably don't write 10 checks a year now, and I think that's kind of normal. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a, a, a very good point. You know, w one last thought. You know, we're moving close to the sh uh, close of the show here. I wanted to find out what do you think uh, – um, we can do i mean obviously big ships are a little harder to turn than the little ships big companies are a little harder to turn but what are some of the key things that a company can do we know at excellentcultures.com we have uh, experts that help companies do this but what are some insights you can bring to the audience that can maybe start turning some of this ship around i think that one of the biggest things that any company can do is to increase your transparency and, you know, the, the lawyers out there are going to cringe because, you know, that's, that's, not a, that's not a great thing. Because when, when the companies screw up, and they do, all, as, as people we do as well, when something goes wrong, if we own up to it, I think we will find that people in general, not just in the United States, but the people around the world, will, are likely to be forgiving if we own up to our mistakes and then we fix it. But if we hide it, I mean, we've, we've all, all, in our lifetimes, we have seen so many examples of people in public life who do something they shouldn't have done, and then they try to hide it, which makes it far worse. And then they're never trusted forever. Trust is such a huge, important part 
of the of any relationship, and let's and let's look at it from a business to customer relationship too. Am I going to go uh, and buy from? Uh, I mean, I I've driven Mercedes for 30 years, and I don't. I've got a 1982 Mercedes right now, and my mechanic says it's got at least another 10 years of life. I trust that company, um, and it is because of that relationship that I that I have with them, and they don't know my name. They know my car, but they don't know my name. But but there's a good, strong business customer trust relationship there. Uh, that's with a product. Um, at, at the same point in time, I've got a mechanic who I trust as well. Uh, and so that, that particular mechanic, we've built up a trust relationship. And I have absolutely no qualms at all. Uh, and, uh, and, and if I have something that, that is wrong with my car, uh, which doesn't happen very much, but... Uh, you know, I take it to him, he fixes it, gets it back to me, I trust that it's done. And if you as a company can build up a trust relationship to where even if we make a mistake, if we're if I'm in the company and we make a mistake, if we will own up to that, then you're going to keep that customer more than mine. That's a wonderful if start, insight. If you start lying, you're going to lose. So, so clear, so basic. Stan, we're running out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to post this radio show at excellentcultures.com on the Biz Culture Matters page so that people can hear it and listen to it and share it with their friends. Such a great point about transparency. We want to have you back on the show just to talk about transparency very soon. But for now, Stan, thank you so very much for your insights. They are extremely valuable, and our hope is that your contributions will help the good guys win in every company that's out there listening. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, thanks, Dan. Hey, thank you, audience, for being with us on Clay 1180 a.m. We welcome you to to tell others about us at 7 a.m. on Saturdays. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.